Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Want to advertise on this podcast or one like it and reach a targeted and engaged audience? Go to thatcast.com to start reaching our audience. That Cast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the That Cast Podcast Network. Uh, this is your host, Bob Lundeberg, and uh, I've got to be honest with you guys, dealing with uh, dealing with a little allergies, fine, you know, mild, moderate case of sunburn right now as well. Uh, weather's certainly been incredibly nice throughout the entire Willamette Valley for the last couple weeks. Uh, so yeah, bit sneezing a bit blowing my nose and all that and also i forgot to wear sunscreen on one of those days and it did bite me but you know on, on the positive end um i'm not going to need any sunscreen or any of that stuff um in the god stadium press box this weekend because um as most of you know the beavers are hosting oklahoma state for a, a marquee three-game non-conference baseball series and um you know oregon state's going to really need to take care of business here after some struggles in, in midweek games um i had a story up that's it's currently up right now on Oregon Live that you can kind of read that touched on that and Oregon State one and six in those midweek games. So these are uh, the, the this is going to be a pretty pretty big non conference series as Oregon State looks to finish out the regular season. I'm going to have a, a slightly different kind of show today. Just try something new. Um, no guests this week, so uh, you guys are just stuck with me. Could be a good thing or or a bad thing. I guess I guess we'll see how it all goes. Uh, there there there've been a lot of you know kind of newsy items over the last week plus or so, and I thought I just would kind of sit down and give my opinion on a few of these issues. You know, we've got Oregon State's baseball team, like I mentioned earlier, is winning all these weekend series, but struggling in the midweeks. Um, got a really, I think, in my opinion, a pretty interesting nationwide landscape in college baseball this year without maybe the top end teams that we've seen in the recent past there's been a ton of transfers throughout all of college basketball but also in the pac-12 and oregon state specifically and you know i think i'll also hit probably want to talk a little bit of some nfl draft and undrafted free agency stuff because um while a lot of the pac-12 teams you know did put a lot of players into the league as uh, many of you know, Oregon State did not. So um, I just kind of jotted down a little list. Um, like I said, there's a lot of things going on this week, so I thought I'd just kind of spout off on a few of them. Um, I'll try to keep this podcast relatively tight for you guys since it's going up. It'll be going up on a Friday, uh, hopefully just a couple hours before uh, the Oregon State uh, Oklahoma State series begins. Um, so could be a good listen for you guys as you make your way to the to Goss Stadium. Um, as always, want to thank everyone for listening to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the That Cast Podcast Network. Uh, you can find a whole bunch of shows on the site, including this one. Uh, we're also available on iTunes and Spotify. So seriously, guys, please rate and review. I know I do say that every week, but it, it really, really does help us out. A uh, quick break now for me, and then I'll uh, come back after the break and run through some what I, what I feel are some relevant topics on the other side. Price Financial Group Wealth Management 
Navigating through today's financial investment world can seem pretty scary. Now, here's the good news. Chuck Price, president of Price Financial Group Wealth Management, introduces a new revolutionary concept that will change how you invest now and in the future. It's called Asset Lock. Asset Lock monitors your investment accounts 24-7, 365, and alerts you when action needs to be taken. And now, Chuck Price offers Asset Lock. At Price Financial Group Wealth Management, we believe all our clients deserve to have Asset Lock monitoring their accounts. So call Chuck today or online at pfgwm.com and learn how you can get Asset Lock on your accounts today for free. Price Financial Group Wealth Management, because the smart investor knows what you don't know can hurt you. Simplify. Call 503-253-3000. That's 503-253-3000. Anna Canzano hosts That Expert Show, the show you help run. Hear the top experts on a variety of topics interviewed by a top journalist. Find That Expert Show and other shows on the ThatCast Network. Visit ThatCast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. All right. Well, let's go ahead and kick this thing off with my first topic of the week, and that is Oregon State's midweek baseball struggles. And at this point, uh, it's just impossible to ignore the stats because Oregon State, on one hand, has won 16 of its last 17 Pac-12 games. Uh, a figure that rivals anything the team did in 2017 and 2018 when it, they qualified for back-to-back -back College World Series. But, you know, during that same stretch, the Beavers are also just 1-6 in, in their last seven non-conference games. This this bizarre kind of trend, it all started with a loss to Portland up at Ron Tonkin Field. And then Oregon uh, was able to break a long Civil War losing streak with a victory at Goss Stadium. And during this uh, during this bit of struggles, the Beavers have also split a, a two-game midweek series with San Diego State, also dropped two extra inning games at Nevada, and this all, uh, the most recent result was then on Tuesday's um, bizarre kind of home loss to, Nevada, or to Gonzaga, I should say, uh, West Coast Conference leading Gonzaga. So not a terrible loss, but still wasn't a lot of fight there shown by the Beavers until, until the later innings. I did write about this in the Oregonian this week, and it just it kind of seems like there are almost two different Oregon State teams because you have that the first group you know plays on the weekends in Pac-12 play that just does everything so well, pitching, hitting, defense, locked in, and has just been taking care of business. And then on the other hand, you have this this group that shows up for midweeks where it just seems like the energy and the focus. And the passion maybe aren't quite there. And I know it's it's left interim head coach Pat Bailey. It's made him incredibly frustrated. He doesn't understand why this keeps happening. They've even talked about it. He promised the team a barbecue uh, at his house if they could beat Gonzaga, which didn't end up happening. And you know, after the game, we also talked to Adley Rutschman and Christian Chamberlain, and they seem just as befuddled. They don't know, really know what's going on. And, and I, I do think it is important to note that that. Oregon State's uh, weekend rotation of uh, Brandon Isaac, Bryce Femmel, Grant Gambrell, they've been incredible and they've made helped make the Beavers just really really tough to beat when their full lineup is going with their with their main pitchers. And these midweek games because of some of the pitching depth situations and other injuries throughout the lineup, Oregon State hasn't always been fielding its top teams on the, for these midweek games. And you know, when you do reach the postseason, 
by you know the in super regionals and the college world series the pitching depth isn't going to be as big of a deal because the college world series is really spread out gives you more time to rest super regionals is just three games now if if Oregon State were to fall into the losers bracket in a regional pitching depth could certainly be tested but with where Oregon State is at um, in the RPI and leading the Pac-12 and all that I wouldn't expect Oregon State to fall out of regional contention so it's just I think kind of big picture here is that these midweek losses are certainly very frustrating and again nobody is more frustrated than Pat Bailey about them but also, it's important to note that these midweek games aren't necessarily the end of the world because Pac-12 play is more important, and Oregon State has been doing an amazing job in Pac-12 play, which brings me to point number two today. And that's been that I feel like this has been just almost an underrated, incredible season for the Beavers. Because entering this weekend, Oregon State... 11th in the RPI, 31 and 11 and one overall, 17 and four in Pac-12 play, leading the conference by half a game on Stanford in what I think many people thought could be either a rebuilding year or a partial rebuilding year. Because I mean, look, let's just let's list. I guess let's just go through the list and some of the names that Oregon State lost off last year's national title team. And starts right at the top with Coach Pat Casey. He's what merely the winningest coach in the history of Oregon State baseball. Five-time Pac or five-time Pac-10 slash Pac-12 coach of the year. Well, he retired in September. Also, got to look at Luke Heimlich, All-American, two-time Pac-12 pitcher of the year. Uh, Luke certainly, as we all know, would have been a first-round pick if his juvenile record had never surfaced. Uh, you know, Luke is now pitching professionally in Mexico. He recently picked up his first win. I was very happy to see that for him. But yeah, Luke, I mean, that's a huge hole to fill right at the top of the, of the rotation. Nick Madrigal, All-American, Pac-12 Player of the Year as a sophomore. He was picked number four overall in the draft by the Chicago White Sox. He was the highest-drafted Oregon State player ever. That's a, that's a pretty big hole to fill at second base. Trevor Larnick, All-American, College World Series hero. That go-ahead home run, we all remember, the ninth inning of Game 2 against Arkansas in the finals. He was a first-round pick by the Twins. That's that's a, that's a bunch of home runs and uh, some really solid defense you have to replace out there in right field. Caden Grenier, another All-American again. He won the Brooks Wallace Award last year, I mean, given annually to the, the nation's top shortstop. Uh, as we all remember, Grenier had that dramatic RBI single, the tied game two of the College World Series finals. He was a first-round draft pick by the Orioles, uh, known for his defense for sure, easily one of the defense, best defensive players Oregon State's had in recent memory. Steven Kwan, a major, major spark plug and uh, you know multi-year starter out there in center field. He's now playing really well in the Cleveland Indians organization. Got to look at Michael Gretler as well. Kind of same thing with Quan. He's 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 hitting. He's doing a good job hitting, and he's also been playing a bunch of different positions with the Pittsburgh Pirates organization. Yeah, Gretler was a he was a tenth round pick in the draft, where Quan was a fifth round. So both of those guys were also taken really really high. And then you also need to look at uh, veteran outfielders that Oregon State lost and Kyle Novak and Jack Anderson. Those guys graduated. They were just the you know kind of the glue guy types. Just had some huge moments over the years. Played a lot of good defense and had a lot of good at bats. So I mean, just I mean, listed off what seven, eight, nine names there. I mean, it's just it's it's really I I think it just again it kind of shows what type of job this team has done putting it all together with so many guys lost. And, you know, again, I think we knew the pitching staff would be great. 
just because of all the experience that's been talked about. The uh, most of the pitchers, other than Luke Heim, like are back, did come back, and have been effective this year. There have been a couple injuries. Uh, Jordan Britton went down before the season. Notably, Ace Kevin Abel has barely pitched this year, unfortunately going down with that elbow injury. Recently, too, Mitchell Verberg suffered a what didn't appear to be a great uh, right arm injury. It's possible that he'll miss the rest of the year as well. But I guess even with all those, even with all those nicks and dings the Beaver staff has had, we're still looking at a team that's second in the Pac-12 in Team ERA behind UCLA at 2.92. So just another great job there by pitching coach Nate Yeski as always. And, it, it, you know, it's sure the offense does have one, one hell of a centerpiece in Adley Rutschman, front runner to win Golden Spikes Award, obviously, and, and be the number one overall pick in June's draft. But, it, you know, we must note that some of the pieces around Rutschman kind of have come out of nowhere because I think entering the season – a lot of people probably expected Zach Taylor and Andy Armstrong and Tyler Malone and Preston Jones. Those are probably the four returning position players with the most experience. I think as people did kind of pencil in Oregon State's lineup, figured we'd see those four plus Adley Rutschman as kind of being, you know, maybe some of the, the heart of the order there. But none of those guys have really have really hit at all. And, you know, Malone really due to his high on base percentage, he's stuck in the lineup. But those other three guys have kind of been in and out. And really, instead, the offense has just gotten it done with a a bunch of new guys kind of surrounding Rutschman. You know, freshman Jake Harvey, sophomore Joe Casey, sophomore Ryan Ober has just been, he's been a huge bat hitting right behind Rutschman in the lineup. Uh, Bo Phillip, a really nice junior college transfer shortstop who's missed some time with injury. I think Bo's going to be back against Oklahoma State this weekend. He's really hit when it went in. And also freshman Matthew Gretler and Jake Ducart. Those guys have really come on as of late. And earlier in the year, we watched outfielders Kyler McMahon and Alex McGarry. They, they were red hot. So I just, in terms of the offense and what the Beavers have done, I really don't think Pat Bailey has quite gotten enough credit because, I mean, the Beavers, again, they effectively lost four first round picks off last year's team. And they're actually having a better conference season than they did a year ago. I mean, that that's incredible. It, I really think it is. So, you know, kudos to the players and interim head coach Pat Bailey for making sure and the entire staff for uh, for getting this thing done. We did talk about RPI earlier. So I guess we'll kind of call RPI um, topic number three today because it is important and it needs to be noted that the Beavers are in a bit of a tricky situation uh, in the RPI due to some of the midweek losses. That RPI, like I have talked about, is down to number 11. But, you know, now in college baseball, I should say, and there are two, there are a couple of things that are really, really important more than anything else in making the road to Omaha as easy as possible. And number one of those things is to secure one of the 16 regional host sites for the NCAA tournament. And then the second, or equally as important, they're, they're both, I mean, maybe even more important depending on how you look at it, is getting in that top eight because that guarantees you, assuming you win your home regional, it guarantees you um, home field advantage for the super regionals because as I think most of us know, being at home for the postseason is just invaluable. All six times Oregon State made the College World Series under Pat Casey, they actually won home super regionals to get there. Uh, so Oregon State is actually 0-1 all-time on the road in Super Regionals and 6-0 at home. So 
locking down a top eight seed in particular, as you can see there, is just incredibly important. And the Beavers really are still set up well to do that, in my opinion, because their RPI is really only going to climb in May, I think. Oklahoma State entering this series is 24th in the RPI. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Beavers are back near kind of the top five there with the series victory. And Oregon State then after that heads to Oregon for the Civil War Series. The Ducks have been struggling uh, a bit recently, but still have a really strong RPI of 39. And then you know it's on to Stanford after that. And the Cardinal are 19th in the RPI and right there with Oregon State for uh, up at the Pac-12 standings. It's a series that potentially could decide the Pac-12 title. And then finally for Oregon State to close the regular season, got three games at home against you know, you know, a mediocre USC team. But at least the Trojans are are still in the RPI top 100 at 92. So really with, with all the other metrics Oregon State has going for it too, when you look at overall record is very good. Conference record, tremendous. Uh, strength of schedule because they played a good non-conference uh, schedule as well as uh, you know Pac-12 is always one of the best conferences. It's really good there. Beavers are just fine in the RPI. Hopefully, can climb here you know for those guys' sake um, with the with the strong showing this weekend. And then also there, there's some other things you need to look at because the Beavers are above 500 on the road and currently have a 23 eight and one overall record against the RPI top 100. I mean these are just these are really, really good metrics for the team, even with an RPI that, as of today, is a little borderline for earning a top eight seed. But if you just factor everything else in, I think the Beavers are just in great shape. So four series left in the regular season. If Oregon State wins three of these series, I think the top eight seed is just absolutely guaranteed. And in reality, probably even winning two of the four could be enough just with how strong the rest of their resume is. I mean, part of it certainly comes down to what the other teams across the country do. And, you know, that that kind of brings me perfectly then to point number four. As we look at the nationwide landscape in college baseball, I think it's actually kind of a down year. And, you know, part of that is maybe unfairly comparing the top teams this season to some of the juggernauts that we saw in the last couple of years and Oregon State, Florida, and then really that 2017 LSU team also had a ton of talent because, you know, I, I think those teams I mentioned, just a ton of uh, high draft picks there and maybe a bit unusual for the amount of arms and position players that really all three of those teams had. But I, I've seen a few national writers um, over the last couple weeks or maybe even longer than that. I've really begun to kind of beat the drum for the, the fact that college baseball does just kind of seem and feel a little bit down this year. And I think uh, when people talk about that, they, they, they're not necessarily meaning the overall depth and talent in the entire sport. They're really referring to those teams at the very top, the teams that we kind of expect to be in Omaha for the College World Series and competing for a national title. And just let's, let's go through, I'll pull up the... RPI top 10 here and let's just take a look at the top teams because I, I will say it, it <laughs> I, I think I agree with the national writers you know as of right now UCLA uh, number one in the RPI and it is pretty clear that to me at least the, the Bruins do have the most complete team in all of college baseball but you know they're, they're not really stocked with uh, the first round draft picks that you would imagine that you know a, a number one type team in the country would have 
The Bruins is just it's a really it's a really strong group of pitchers with a variety of stuff. There are some power arms in there and some top end prospects, but you know not necessarily first round guys. And if you look through the lineup, very experienced, a lot of multi year, three year starters, really good college players, and definitely you know definitely professional level guys, but not not the really early round draft picks I think you would expect. You know, the Bruins, you do have to give them a lot of credit because they haven't lost a weekend series. Uh, We're absolutely pushed to the brink at home by Oregon State right at the beginning of Pac-12 play. But, you know, in no way are, in no way is UCLA overwhelming or in no way does UCLA have the same type of look or feel of some of the past, you know, the, again, the Oregon state, the Florida, the LSU, it's just, it's not that type of team. And UCLA also, you have to mention recently lost ASAC Petway due to an injury and it, it remains unclear uh, when he's going to come back. So it's at and Bruins, much like Oregon state, very, very good pitching depth, but still Petway, that's a big loss. Vanderbilt, uh, number two in the RPI, uh, no doubt at all. The Commodores, terrific offense, uh, power led by power hitting machine, JJ Bleday. If you haven't seen him play yet, he's, he's been having a really nice year. He's been lighting it up. Um, got a bunch of home runs, leads the SEC in home runs, but Vanderbilt's pitching, uh, no other way to say it, just been inconsistent. And again, just kind of like UCLA, it's not necessarily a roster that's full of, you know, first and second round picks. They're just good college players and uh, kind of with more of marginal type prospects than really, really the elite guys you'd expect from a number two team in the country. Arkansas sitting there at third in the RPI team, uh, Oregon state fans, very, very familiar with, um, you know, a lot of the same names, uh, Heston Kerstad, Casey Martin, uh, good, good, solid hitters, uh, Razorbacks, were arguably the best offense in college baseball last year, returned several of those guys. But um, Arkansas's pitching is probably even more suspect than Vanderbilt's. Um, just looking at it, rely on a ton of young freshman arms. Um, will that work out in the postseason? Um, it usually doesn't. Uh, it might. We'll, we'll just have to see. But, uh, you know, the, the general consensus certainly is that this Arkansas team is not nearly as strong as last year's. Then sitting right behind Arkansas in the R- in the RPI, Mississippi State at fourth. And again, another team uh, Oregon State played last year's College World Series. Uh, Bulldogs have the SC Hit King and Jake Mangum back in center field. Another really strong offensive club, um, but does probably have maybe a better or at least a really strong weekend rotation. But again, I'm not I'm not sure that staff as a whole really stacks up with UCLA's or Oregon State's very well. Just a more of an offensive driven team with some pretty good starting pitching, but I don't think it has the pitching depth of some of the other top end teams. East Carolina is right there at number five in the RPI. They were recently swept by UCLA in a in a in a non-conference weekend series fairly competitive in those games overall but I just don't really know how seriously we can take a team from the American Conference you know competing against these SEC Pac-12 ACC Big 12 teams I mean maybe I'll maybe they can make me eat my words but again East Carolina at number five in the RPI feels maybe a bit like a paper tiger to me just looking at it rounding out the top 10 Got Georgia, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Tennessee, and Miami. And really, it's pretty easy. I can point to flaws in all of them. I mean, Georgia's a little banged up right now, doesn't have a very good offense at all. And it, it, it's reason to believe that Georgia peaked about a month ago. And good, good pitching there. But again, by no means, if Oregon State were to be matched up with Georgia, I think that would be a pretty good, that would be a pretty good matchup for the Beavers. Uh, Georgia Tech's on fire. Um, but I'm looking at their schedule, some just awful RPI series coming up. 
Western Carolina and Pittsburgh. That's, you know, those are going to really drag Georgia Tech down. And, you know, just based on the stats too, Georgia Tech doesn't really jump out. Just kind of a middle of the road offense and in, in pitching and in, in what is a fairly down ACC, to be perfectly honest. Louisville, certainly, uh, there's a lot of talent in Louisville. Maybe of that, those teams there we've talked about might have the most just raw talent of all of them. Also, a very balanced, uh, very balanced club, solid hitting, solid offense. But if you just kind of look at what they've done, Cardinal dropped a home series, Georgia Tech lost a series at Clemson. Uh, normally, you, you see a series lost to Clemson and think, oh, that's, that's fine. But Clemson's a bubble team, might not even make the NCAA tournament this year. So it's not like Louisville, you know, very talented and again, pretty balanced team offensively and pitching, but certainly haven't been dominant. And Tennessee, I mean, Tennessee's just propped up because of the because they're in the SEC. I, I honestly don't even really know how good the volunteers are. I mean, they're nine and twelve in conference play. Despite that RPI of nine, I mean, I think Tennessee's probably on the bubble right now. And, you know, they, they lose this weekend series they've got uh, coming up to Missouri. I think it's possible they're in major trouble of even getting in. I mean, it's not that hard to have a really high RPI when you play in the SEC just because all those other teams are ranked. It's like a feedback loop, basically. Then just capping this off at Miami at number 10, just another pretty red hot team, kind of like Georgia Tech. Um, appears to be fairly balanced overall, but you know, the Hurricanes 14 and 10 in ACC play. Don't really have any signature series wins outside of Georgia Tech. I mean, it's it's a decent resume, but I just again, I'm not sure that's really the uh, that's not a typical tenth best team in the country. I guess I I think it. I really do. I think I agree. It's a down year in college baseball. That's probably why I think Oregon State to many of us feels a little overranked right now. And uh, there, I mean, there there is no doubt the Beavers aren't as strong as they were a year ago, but. I think it's I think it's probably important to remember that the rest of the country also is largely down at the top. And I and when you do compare this Oregon State team to the other teams, you know, throughout the, the SEC, Big Twelve, ACC, it does become a little easier uh, to see the Beavers back in the College World Series. All right, I'm going to take uh, another quick break, grab some water, <laughs> and uh, I'll be back with a few more quicker thoughts to close this pot out. Want to grow your money and avoid pitfalls in financial planning? Check out Chuck Price and Investing Simplified. Find it and other shows on the ThatCast Network. ThatCast.com From Guild Coliseum to Research Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Okay, topic number five. Time to pick up the pace here. Sorry for, uh, sorry for talking so long. Uh, got to uh, got to hit on uh, the recent transfers from Oregon State men's basketball. Um, Warren Washington, freshman center, he announced earlier this week that he would be leaving the program, uh, joining Jack Wilson and Jordan Campbell as uh, freshmen that transferred out of Oregon State just this year. Um, certainly, on paper, would seem just in that with that information to be a bit of an alarming trend, but. You know, really, I wouldn't be too concerned about anything because this transfer thing throughout college basketball, 
is just a nationwide epidemic. I mean, already in the Pac-12 alone, 31 players have entered the transfer portal. So Oregon State is about right on average there. Granted, a couple of other programs have had more due to the coaching changes, but three isn't really a substantial number. Several Ducks have also been transferring out recently. It's just kind of the state of how things are throughout college basketball. Whether it's guys not really wanting to wait their turn or people just with freedom of movement just want to find a better situation with a coaching staff or with a community. It just it's something we're seeing everywhere in, in college basketball. So I, I wouldn't really get too worried about things as far as uh, as far as transfers go. And I mean I will say with five seasons in with Wayne Tinkle overall, I think he's done a really nice job with the program. But has ultimately just led the Beavers to the one NCAA tournament appearance. And, you know, I, I think you could make the argument that the last couple of years, considering the talent he's brought in, have been a bit maybe disappointing seasons on the hardwood. And, and really, this, this upcoming year, I, I think there's reasons to think the Beavers could be pretty dang good. But a lot of that is, is certainly going to hinge on whether or not Trace comes back. Because um, I, Trace Tinkle, if, if he were to return for his retro senior year, you could make the argument that he'd be a, a likely pick to win Pac-12 Player of the Year. He maybe was even in the running last year and certainly could be one of the leading scorers in the entire country. I, I don't have any inside information on this or really know anything for certain, but people I talk to that are close to the program seem to think that there's a pretty good chance he's gone, whether that's going to be playing in the NBA, you know, D league, G league, whatever it's called now playing in Europe. I mean, possibly he could even get what, you know, some type of package that drew Eubanks did were a two way deal, because I don't think a lot of people thought drew Eubanks was going to end up in the NBA. But when I was watching the San Antonio Spurs play the Denver nuggets in the playoffs, drew was there sitting on a suit on the bench. So Maybe if Drew can make it, maybe Trace can too. But I certainly don't know what way he's leaning. We will find out by the end of this month. And, you know, if Trace does come back, I mean, got to look at what? Ethan Thompson, Kyler Kelly, Alfred Hollins. He's He needs to take another step as a, as a junior. Uh, same thing with uh, Zach Reichel. Uh, got a couple really promising incoming freshman recruits. And uh, Jared Lucas, Yanni Hunt, uh, Peyton Dahlstrup was a transfer from BYU. He's I, I've heard really good things about him. So, I mean, I, I think this Oregon State team in 2019, 2020 can be a pretty good group. But, yeah, Trace, Trace Tinkle, certainly, if he comes back, that would be a big boost. Uh, topic six, just, uh, you know, until Wednesday, Oregon State was the only Power 5 school in the entire country without a player drafted or signed to an NFL free agent contract. It's really, really incredible. The NFL draft began uh, last Thursday, went through the weekend. No Beavers were taken. And then, yeah, for the first few days of free agency, Oregon State didn't have a player picked up. Uh, Kalani Vakamalelo, defensive tackle, he was invited to the Seahawks camp. So that did end that. It did end that um, little streak. But, you know, it. You guys definitely don't mean, need me to tell you that uh, that the Gary Anderson era at Oregon State, uh, it, it was quite disastrous. This was the second straight year with no players drafted for Oregon State, and not a single Gary Anderson recruit has been drafted at all yet. You know, if you if you look kind of going back in the history, it's not like Oregon State was ever, you know, a giant draft hotbed or anything, even during the best years of Dennis Erickson and Mike Riley. Um, actually, since uh, in this uh, this century, uh, linebacker Nick Barnett, running back Steven Jackson, and wide receiver Brandon Cooks are the Beavers' only first-round picks, uh, like I said, of this century. 
But you know, if you if you look more at the rounds like two through seven, just littered with Oregon State guys over the last twenty years or so, and it, going back just to the two thousand nine draft. Oregon State had seven players drafted, and that was following that 2008 season where they nearly made the Rose Bowl. So if you really, if you kind of you know look at what Oregon State has on the roster uh, for 2019 going into the fall, I do think things are going to be a, a bit different uh, if we fast forward uh, 12 months to where we are right now, because you know if if uh, if he can stay healthy, tight end Noah Togiai looks definitely looks like an NFL uh, uh, NFL potential guy to me anyway. And you know there are some other guys. Um, I think that either at, at the back end of the draft, you know, rounds five, six, seven, or certainly in through uh, the free agent process. I mean, quarterback Jake Luton, uh, running back Artavis Pierce, just to name a couple. I, I think those guys are certainly going to get a shot. Uh, wide receiver Trevon Bradford. I, I'd be surprised if he didn't at least get invited to a camp. Safety Jalen Moore has been. Uh, he's been around for a while. I, I don't. I don't see why he couldn't at least get a shot. So I, I think we're going to. Uh, I think we're going to actually have a couple Oregon State draft picks um, next year, um, and w- which is a big step up for the program. I mean, you need to have talent to win football games, and Oregon State hasn't won a lot of football games recently. Um, it's good to see that I think that Jonathan Smith is starting to clean up uh, Gary Anderson's mess, but no doubt that uh, there's there's a lot of work left to do on that front. Uh, speaking of football, let's go just uh, quickly top number seven. Uh, did mention this on my last podcast, but the the quarterback spot, I just I have to men- I have to talk about that because usually where I go, if people aren't asking me about Oregon State baseball, they're probably asking me about the quarterbacks, and that position still remains very much up for grabs. Um, this season depth chart is actually looking pretty good. I think at quarterback between I uh, got you know that senior Jake Luton on top, Tristan Jebbia, Jack Coletto right there is the number three. But you know Oregon State, it, one thing that's been a little troublesome in my eyes is that the, the Beavers weren't able to land a prep quarterback in the last recruiting cycle, and we're at that point now. Uh, for the class of the, the prep class of 2020 where a lot of these quarterbacks are starting to come off the board and I think things are pretty slow on the quarterback recruiting front there for Oregon State again this I, I you know again it's pretty straightforward but this just has to turn around if the Beavers are going to dig themselves out of the Pac-12 basement and and you know I guess to be again to be perfectly honest I kind of thought that with the reputation Jonathan Smith has and offensive quarterback Brian Lindgren I, I thought they would probably be able to have more success at recruiting these prep quarterbacks it's still early we need to give them more time but eh, things things aren't necessarily looking super positive on the recruiting front for landing a, a quarterback for the class of 2020 so that that should be a bit troubling I guess maybe the the transfer market is going to be the best place, you know, for programs more on, you know, like Oregon State to add depth at certain positions. We we certainly saw that last year where the Beavers took a handful of really highly regarded transfers, and I guess we'll see uh, how productive they are on the field this fall. But I mean, I know that it's possible that a transfer quarterback or two is out there that will look at Oregon State. You know, one name is Colson Yankoff from Washington. He recently announced he was uh, he recently announced that he's leaving the Huskies. It's a very very highly rated recruit coming out of uh, Coeur d'Alene up in northern Idaho. Uh, Jonathan Smith was able to land him at Washington. Um, the, he was very coveted by Oregon State staff and Jonathan Smith, obviously now at Oregon State. May, maybe uh, maybe he can bring Colson Yankoff down to Corvallis. Um, 
there was also it was actually kind of interesting that I think right at the same time that Yankov announced he was leaving Washington, uh, Peter Sermon, which was another super highly rated quarterback uh, at, at UW, he also announced that he was leaving. But uh, I think a day or two later, uh, apparently Chris Peterson and company were able to talk uh, Mr. Sermon to coming back to Washington. So it will just be the the one transfer uh, in Yankoff leaving the Huskies. And yeah, maybe uh, I think he would be a really nice addition for Oregon State if um, Lindgren and Smith aren't able to land a prep quarterback this cycle. On uh, for quickly on topic eight, I just I definitely needed to give uh, a brief mention to the Oregon State softball teams that that huge Civil War sweep they had in Eugene last weekend. It was the first time the Beavers had swept the Ducks at all since 2006. Um, those were certainly some big wins for Laura Berg's club. I was able to watch a couple of them on television um, after some of the Washington State baseball games, um, and they just they swung the bats really well down there, which was definitely good to see for them. Um, I know that, and again, every Beaver fan I know uh, certainly enjoys taking down Oregon in any sport. So it was a very, very big wins there for uh, for Oregon State softball. The Beavers are off this weekend. It's really weird. I <laughs> softball schedules can be a little funny sometimes, but yeah, coming off that coming off that Civil War sweep, then, then you don't have any games <laughs> the next weekend, and then actually um, the following week, the Beavers are going to close the regular season with three home games against Utah. Just looking at the numbers, Oregon State sitting at uh, 24 and 18 overall, six and 13 in Pac-12 play with a RPI of 40. Um, pro- probably in in okay shape there for the NCAA tournament, but you know, got to get maybe two wins in that Utah series would probably be would probably be enough to secure that at large bid. Um, something that you know Laura Berg has done uh, very regularly during her time at Oregon State. And finally. Uh, just real quickly to wrap things up, I did want to uh, give a brief promotion to this new web series that I'm doing uh, with Oregon Live. Um, we just taped our first episode on uh, this week on Tuesday with uh, Grant Gambrell. He's very kind to uh, sit down with us or more accurately stand up with us for a few minutes. Uh, basically what this series is going to be, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go up on Facebook Live uh, it, right as we're doing it. And uh, it will also remain after it's done recording. It's going to be up on either on Facebook on the Oregon on the Oregonians Facebook page or on OregonLive.com. Maybe on both. I'll try to I'll try to get some actual uh specifics on that and tweet that out for you guys later on. But yeah, it's gonna be I think it's gonna be fun. Ken Go and I from uh from Oregonian Oregon Live, great guy who was back in Omaha last year with us for the College World Series. Um we're just gonna try to interview a player every week. Um keep you know keep it with some stuff on the field some stuff off the field keep it as interesting as possible because there are a lot of really good personalities on the team and then Ken and I also kind of break down some either stuff that happened the previous weekend interesting stuff moving forward just trends we notice uh we'll, we'll keep the videos probably pretty tight maybe 10 to 15 minutes I think this last one went about 15 minutes but got a lot of really good feedback on it from you guys which was super cool to see um Grant Grant definitely uh Grant definitely is a pretty fun guy to talk to and yeah we'll uh we'll just try to keep it fresh mix things up talk to as many different players as we can um and we'll try to tape those, I believe, on Tuesdays. So those will go up, you know, around Tuesday afternoon. And um, yeah, make sure to check that out on Oregon Live and on the Oregonians Facebook page. Well, that will uh, that's going to just do it then for this weekend's or this week's edition, I should say, of the Beaver Buzz podcast. 
Uh, and seriously, thanks as always for tuning in, guys. I know this was a bit of a different episode. I probably won't do too many solo ones the rest of the way, but I just didn't really know a better format because, yeah, just there were a lot of things that happened. And I kind of wanted to comment on them. And since I'm a freelance writer, I don't really have my own column to sit down anymore and just hash all this stuff out. So I figured I'd spit some takes into a microphone and you guys can either listen to it if anyone did make it to the end of the pod or they can just skip this one and wait till next week. I'll try to try to actually have a guest on next week. But seriously, thanks for tuning in. Uh, please subscribe, rate and review. And yeah, I'll uh, I'll be back. Uh, I'll be back later on next week, uh, probably with someone from the Oregon State baseball team, I'd imagine. Enjoy the weekend and the, the wonderful weather out there, everybody. Discover the growing lineup of ThatCast Network podcasts and videocasts at ThatCast.com.